0: Father, we thank you again for your mercy. How we can read stories in the Bible of your mercy shown to people and we can tell stories from our lives of your mercy shown to us. And God, we ask for your mercy and your grace again. And God, we ask for your word to have its powerful effect in our hearts right now as it did in the city of Nineveh. God, we pray for your word to have its way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How is a broken relationship healed? You ever had a relationship that was not going the way that you wanted it to go? Ever wished for restoration in that relationship? Um, how does it get healed? Well, ideally we would say that the person who wronged the other person would come back, would apologize, would say that they, what they did was wrong, and that they would turn around from their actions. That's the word picture of repentance, not just the the act of saying I'm sorry, but the act of turning around as well and and starting to live a different way. Now the problem is, in our human relationships, it's not always that simple, right? Because a lot of the times when a relationship is broken, the problem is that we are both the offender, that is that we have done something wrong, and we are the offended. That oftentimes a broken relationship is a two-way street but I'm going to make it a lot simpler for you because when we're dealing with God, it's always a one-way street. When we're talking about a relationship being broken, if you're ever wondering who is causing the problem in your relationship with God, please know it is us. God never has to repent of anything. He never sins. So if there is something wrong between us and God, we can rest assured that the problem is us. And I take great comfort in that, because I sometimes feel that unrest. Do you ever feel that something's just not right? I don't feel like I'm connecting with God the way that I should be? There's something between us? Well, rest assured, it is us. Well, we're studying the book of Jonah this month at Cornerstone, and in this book, we see a lot of problems between humans and God. We've spent the last three weeks talking about Jonah's problems. I'll just recap them very quickly here. Jonah was asked by God to go east to Nineveh to preach his word. Jonah didn't want to, so he fled west trying to flee from the Lord, and it didn't go well for him. But we saw God's grace to him even when he tried to run away. And the reason that we're told in chapter 4 that Jonah didn't want to go to the city of Nineveh is because it was so wicked. Nineveh was a terrible place. Historically, it is one of the worst empires. It was in the empire of Assyria. And the Assyrian Empire was one of the worst, most wicked empires that we know of. And it was an enemy of Israel, of God's people. So that's why Jonah didn't want to go. Actually, it's kind of a shocking reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Are you ready for this? The reason Jonah really didn't want to go to Nineveh wasn't just because they were wicked. It was because gasp, he didn't want them to be forgiven. He knew that God is a God of grace and mercy and compassion and love, and he thought, those are my enemies. I'm not sure I want to see them receive forgiveness. Jonah had a problem with God. Nineveh had a problem with God. They were wicked. But in the book of Jonah, what we see is God's compassion. We see how much he longs to show his grace to wicked, disobedient, lost, sinful, rebellious people. Like you and me, by the way. And today we're going to see even more compassion. We've already seen the compassion shown to Jonah in the great fish, which, by the way, was God's compassion. It was in the fish that Jonah realized that he shouldn't run from God. Today we're going to see even more amazing grace from God as we see how he responds to the wicked people of Nineveh. Now, as I said a few weeks ago, the three main characters in the book of Jonah are Jonah, the Ninevites, and the Lord. So today we're going to take a look at each of those three main characters in regard to this idea of grace and compassion and repentance. So that's where we're headed today. I've got three points. We're going to start off with Jonah. And let's start off, we're in chapter three today. We're going to cover the whole chapter. And I'm going to start off by reading verses 1 through the first part of verse 3. So chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now the first thing that we should point out here is that Jonah got a second chance. It's, it's pretty cool. The Lord had already commanded Jonah to go to Nineveh, but he had disobeyed. But now in chapter 3, it's the exact same command. In chapter 1, I- in Hebrew, it says, Arise and go. Those are the two commands. And now in chapter 3, we see the exact same two commands. Arise and go. God was giving Jonah a second chance. And have you ever had a second chance? Anybody here ever messed up? Any? Raise your hand if you've ever messed up here. And... Uh, You ever, yeah, all right, some people are, you know, both hands up, all right. Um, (laughs) Have you ever had a redo? Have you ever had somebody offer you in grace? They say, you know what, I understand that you messed up. I'm going to give you a second chance. Have you ever had that? You know that it is purely an act of grace, and that's what we see here from God. Jonah didn't deserve this. In fact, God didn't have to do it this way. God wanted the people of Nineveh to hear his message. In fact, I think that's one of the strongest things that we learn about God in this book, is that God wanted his message to go to Nineveh. So what should God do when one of his prophets says no and starts running away from him? You know, if we were God, we might say, fine, Jonah, you're not going to do it, I'll send somebody else. And if that person doesn't do it, I'll send an angel, or I'll have the rocks cry out. But you know what? God wanted Jonah to be part of this process. God wanted to show grace not only to Nineveh, but also to Jonah. And and I think that that's something that we have to realize here from chapter 3. God wanted to show grace to him, and God wanted to use Jonah. You see, God loves to use us in the process. We are people who have been changed by God's grace. For those of us that know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, His grace has deeply affected us. And God wants us then to go to other people and explain to them how His grace can deeply touch them. That's one of the reasons I think God loves to use us in that process. So in a moment, we're going to look at the stunning repentance of Nineveh. But for now, let's just look at Jonah, how he did. He repented. He realized that he had been going the wrong way. So what did he do? He turned around and started following God. It says, God told him, Arise and go. And it says that Jonah arose and went according to the word of the Lord. And let me just say something very quickly here about repentance. Repentance isn't just what goes on in our hearts. Sometimes we might think that we've done our job of repenting of our sin when we say to him, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And and don't get me wrong. It has to start there. It, it has to start in our hearts. But it shouldn't end there because repentance should also involve our actions. And I love what we see from Jonah's actions here. He had been going the wrong way both in his heart and in his, in his actions. In the whale, or in the big fish, his heart turned around and then when the, when the fish vomited him on the dry land, what do we see? We see his steps. His steps of obedience showed his repentance. And I think there's a lesson in there for us that our repentance should be more than just feelings inside of our heart our actions should change as well to show that we're on on board with what God's plans are for us now Jonah still has more repenting left to do we're going to see in chapter 4 that he still has some issues but again, I I tried to emphasize this point last week and I'll, I'll just quickly say it again Praise the Lord that he was willing to forgive Jonah even though Jonah's repentance wasn't fully complete. God is willing to forgive us before we're perfect. Do you know that? That's good news for us. In fact, we're not going to be perfect until we we meet him in the air. Uh, God is willing to forgive us even if we don't repent of 100% of everything we should repent of. That's not an excuse for us not to repent of those other things. It's God's mercy To forgive us in our weakness. So we have been shown amazing grace. Jonah, in his response to God's grace, went to Nineveh. We should be people who go to the lost as well with this message of grace. Let's move on to the people of Nineveh then, Uh, starting where I left off in the middle of verse 3, reading through verse 9. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. In verse 2, Nineveh was called a great city. Then in verse 3, it doesn't say this in most translations, but it's literally called a great city to God. Now, I think that that description doesn't tell us so much about Nineveh as it does about God. Because was Nineveh a great city? Maybe it was a big city. Maybe it was an important city. But was it a great city in the, in the way that we would call something great? Well, what we learn here is that it was important to God, even though it was wicked And the enemy of God's people, it was still important to God. And finally, by chapter 3, Jonah got to Nineveh. And that's what God wanted all along. He wanted his message of grace to go to Nineveh. That whole thing with the storm and the ship and the fish, it didn't have to happen. Because God wanted his message just to go to Nineveh. So when Jonah got there, he finally gave God's message saying, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the key word here is overturned. Now from chapter 4, we learn that Jonah was hoping that that meant destroyed, burned. And, And sometimes in the Bible, that's what the word does mean. In Genesis, when God is talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, it's that exact same word. And how did God overturn that city? By sending down burning sulfur to destroy it. And that's what the Ninevites assumed that this word meant as well, because in their response, they hoped that God would relent. So, so Jonah hoped it meant destroy. The Ninevites assumed that it meant destroy. But it can have another meaning. The other meaning of overturn can also mean for hearts to be changed. And that's what God wanted in Nineveh. Now, I think that God was ready to destroy Nineveh, maybe send down some of that burning sulfur if they didn't repent but I think that God wanted their hearts to be overturned. And eventually that's what we see happening here. So this word overturned gets at both possibilities. The possibility of destruction if they wouldn't repent, but the possibility of repentance and forgiveness if they would repent. And then something amazing happened. Nineveh repented. And this is by far the biggest miracle in the book of Jonah. Jonah is known because of the story of the fish. And that's a pretty awesome miracle, but this one is even bigger, I think. This wicked, wicked city going into immediate repentance mode. What we see in verses 5 through 9 is one of the greatest revivals in all of the Old Testament. It, it's pretty cool, actually. You think about you know, all the powerful things that God did in the Old Testament, yet this here in Nineveh is one of the greatest revivals that we see in the Old Testament. So let's take a look at what happened there. We're told in verse 3 that a visit to Nineveh required three days. Probably has to do with how big of a city it was. Uh, Jonah probably, if he was going to reach the whole city with his message, would have had to walk around for three days to reach every part of it. But look what happens. On day one, the whole city repented and believed in God. Now, I used to think that Jonah wasn't doing his job. When it said that it was a three-day city, and on day one, Jonah preached, I used to think, oh, maybe Jonah wasn't doing his job. But I have a different view now, and the reason I have a different view is because I think that the people of Nineveh were so cut to the heart that they just immediately repented. Before Jonah had to even go to the rest of the city, this city just turned around in in deep humility and (coughs) repented. And what I think we see here is the power of God's Word. Think about this. The power of God's Word. You ever noticed the universe? Anybody ever, you know, thought, hey, I live somewhere, and it's a universe, and it's huge, and it's amazing, and it's beautiful. How did that universe come into existence? God spoke it into existence. That is the power of God's Word. Think about what else is called God's Word in the Bible. Jesus Christ. When God wanted to send His message to us, He sent His Son and called Him the Word. And, and that Son, Jesus Christ, died for our sins that we could be forgiven. Do you think that the Word of God is a powerful thing? Well, what happened in Nineveh here? Jonah, in Hebrew, it's only five words. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And the people of Nineveh were cut to the heart. Have you ever been cut to the heart by God's Word? I hope you have... Even for those of us who have been walking with God for a while now, I hope that there are still times when you are opening up God's Word and you just have to stop and say, whoa. Or maybe for some of you out there, you're still looking into what it means to know God, or maybe you're just starting. I would just encourage you to look at the power and the truth of God's word and and realize it is the truth of God and it is meant to change our hearts forever. That's the power of God's word. And I think that's what we saw happening here in Nineveh. God's word went forth and it caused dramatic heart change. And we can take comfort in this um, as messengers of God's word. Jonah's message was surprisingly simple and short. Now, I think it's possible he said more things than what we see there in, in verse 4. Um, but we can take comfort in the fact that it's really not our words that change people. It's God's words. I've heard a lot of Christians say, well, I'm not sure that I would know what to say if I were in a conversation with a lost person. I don't know if I'd know what to say. Well, take comfort in the fact that God's word can change people. And if anything, what that should cause us to want to do is to get to know God's word even more so that we can give it to people so that it can change people we are not the ones who change hearts Jonah wasn't the one who changed the Ninevites hearts it was God they said so themselves they, they believed God it didn't say they believed Jonah it says they believed God and then it says the people of Nineveh declared a fast and put on sackcloth which is a sign of humility And as the townspeople were doing this, the king heard about it as well, and he joined in the fasting and in the sackcloth wearing. And let's take a look specifically at two of the things the king did in verse 6. He got off his throne, and he sat down in the dust. And and I think that that's a wonderful word picture. He was the king. He called his shots. He sat on that throne, and what he said from that throne ruled the city. And I'm guessing that he probably liked it. It's kind of, you know, good for the person's ego sitting on the throne to do those kinds of things. Yet when he heard the news of the King of Kings, he got off of his throne in humility and sat down in the dust. And it's a good word picture for us because, like I often like to say here, we can picture each one of us having a throne in our hearts. And we all like, at times, the feel of being on that throne. We all like the idea of calling our own shots of doing what we want to do. But we need to realize that that throne was not created for us. It was created for God. And what we are supposed to do is get off that throne and in, in humility bow down before him. So I love what the king of Nineveh did here. He, he joined in the repentance. But the king didn't just stop with the word picture. And that's one of the things I want to get across to you today about repentance. is that re- Repentance isn't just something that happens in our hearts. And again, it has to start there. But for the king of Nineveh, his repentance led to more action. And in verses 7 through 9, he issued a proclamation that man and animals should fast and wear sackcloth, and that everyone should call urgently on God, and that they should turn from their evil ways. Now, it's almost comical to ask animals to join in the fast. Why, would, why do that? Uh, should, we, should one of our take-home points be, uh, don't feed your fish today, uh, tell your dog to fast? Um <laughs> Uh, no, I don't think so. Why, why did he do it? It doesn't really tell us here. I just think he was desperate. I just think that he was so cut to the heart by God's word that he, would, he was going to try whatever he could to show God that he was sincere. And our actions sometimes do that. They show God how sincere we are. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not that we trick God. Like, if our heart really isn't into something, well, I'll just, I'll just pretend and I'll do the right things and I'll, I'll try to persuade God. No, that doesn't work. God can see right through that, right into our hearts. But, when our hearts are repentant, it should show in our actions. And that's what we see here from the king of Nineveh and from the people of Nineveh. They were so sincere about their repentance that they did things to show that they were repentant. Our job is to humble ourselves, and that should include our actions. Now in verse 8, the word for repentance is the common Old Testament word for turn. It doesn't say it in the NIV. The NIV says give up their evil ways, but it's literally turn from his evil way. That's what the, the king of Nineveh was calling on each person to do, was to turn from his evil way. And that word turn means exactly what you think it does. And, and here's the word picture I like to use. I've used this one before. I'll probably use it again, so I uh, get used to it, but here it is. When we sin, we take our own path. So picture us. This, you know, Jonah was fleeing from the Lord. We're, we're heading that direction. We're turning away from the Lord. We're sinning. We're doing something that we should not do. We've got our backs to God. When we become aware of it, there should be something that goes on in our hearts. We should be cut to the heart so that we realize, I've been doing something I shouldn't be doing. But as we have that that feeling in our heart, what we should also do with our actions is to turn around. Turn away from our sin and turn towards God and start doing the things that he has asked us to do. So repentance again includes both this this heart grievance, being sorry for what we've done, but it also includes a change of actions to show God that we will live according to his ways. That's what true repentance is. It's a 180. So the Ninevites here showed repentance And they showed it with humility. They showed it through their actions, what they did. Now, let's talk about us for a little bit. Because remember, the book of Jonah is really, in many ways, a story about us. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us. We have all done things that offend God. Even as Christians, we continue to sin. We shouldn't do it, but we do. So what should we do when we sin? Well we should repent, we should turn around from our sin and again that repentance should include our actions. It starts in our heart but it should include our actions. We should turn from sin. So I want to ask you a very pointed question now, it's the same one I asked last Sunday but I want to ask it again because it's so important. What sin do you need to turn from? Is there something that's going on in your heart in your life right now that you just know is not right? Is there something that you would be ashamed of if God knew about it, which he does, by the way, or if other people knew about it? Is there something going on that you just know is not right and you need to repent of it? And I would, what I would encourage you to do is first talk to God and in your heart say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? But then I want to encourage you also to turn away from it with your actions, show that you're going to leave that sin behind and you're going to pursue God. So a couple examples here. Um, If your sin is hatred, talk to God, do that whole forgiveness thing in your heart, but then go to the person that you've been hating and show them love. That's turning from your sin. Or maybe if there's some sexual sin that you've been caught up in, whether that's a sin of your eyes or your thoughts or your actions, Talk to God, but then turn around from it. And if it takes something drastic, or if it takes you changing your actions, or it takes you not going on the internet, or not hanging around with a certain person, or watching a certain kind of movie or show, turn around from those things. Or if your sin is impatience, and uh, you know I'm, I'm struggling with that one. Uh, if your sin is impatience, turn around for it, from it by serving the people that are making you impatient. You see, the root of impatience I think is demanding our own way. So how do we turn from demanding our own way? We can serve other people. We can serve God. Now, um, if you're feeling conviction here, please know I'm with you. Okay, I'm, I'm not up here as the one pointing my fingers at you. I'm really up here as one who's learning these lessons and in the midst of messing up and turning from them. I said it in Sunday school, I'll say it again here, I hope you're okay having a pastor who repents a lot, and yes, that means that I still do sin, but I try to repent, and that's what we should all do. When we become aware of our sins, we confess it to God, and we turn from them. Okay, um, I want to move on to the third main character, but before we do that, I want to address a historical issue here. Some people look at the book of Jonah as a whole and call it a fairy tale. And especially they love to point out the part about the big fish. They say, how could a fish swallow and keep alive a person for three days? And a you know, quick answer there, like I said, is, is God able to do that? Of course he's able to do that. But there's another issue here in chapter three. Some people would look at this amazing repentance of the Ninevites and they would say, but we don't have any historical record of it. How, how are we supposed to believe that a pagan, wicked city all of a sudden turned around to the God of Israel and repented? Some people call it a fairy tale. Well, let me give you just three quick answers why I believe it. First, the Bible says it, and and the Bible is a historical record. It saddens me sometimes when people say things like, oh, there's no historical record of the resurrection. I say, really? Actually, there's four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are historical accounts of eyewitnesses who saw what happened. Why should we discredit the Bible just because it's the Bible? It's a historical record. And right along those lines in the Bible, here's my second point, Jesus believed that the Ninevites repented. Um, he was talking about them in Matthew 12:41. He said, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Jesus believed it. Are we going to trump him? Do we, have, do we have more knowledge of history than Jesus does? <laughs> no way. And then third, um, it's very likely that there was a stretch of time between Jonah's preaching and the destruction of Nineveh, perhaps two generations. We know when Jonah lived, and we know when Nineveh was destroyed, and it's, it's very possible there was two generations in between those times. Now, other prophets in the Bible prophesied against Nineveh about their destruction, and eventually Nineveh was destroyed. Um, but it's, I think it's very possible that what we see is repentance, and then two generations later we see destruction, and if that seems odd to you, consider this. What I would probably call the other greatest revival scene in the Old Testament was during the reign of King Josiah. King Josiah, that's a great name. People should name their kids after that king. But um, During the reign of King Josiah, Israel, or Judah actually in the south, repented massively. Uh, God was about to send them into, into exile, but Josiah and the people humbled themselves before the Lord and there were amazing reforms and the people started really walking with God. But you know what? About 23 years later, God sent them to Babylon because the people had fallen back into sin. So if it can happen to God's people, why couldn't it happen to the people of Nineveh? And I think that's what we see happening is that Nineveh was wicked, they repented, and then over the next two generations, they slipped back. And let that be a reminder to us. We don't want the next generations to walk away from God. What, so what do we do? We keep bringing them God's word. We, we keep setting a pattern of humility and repentance ourselves so that they know what that looks like so they can walk in it. Okay. Um, there's a question this leaves me with, though, as we're on our way to look at God. Why would God forgive the people of a wicked city even if he knew that they were going to slip back into wickedness. Why would God do that? You know why? Because he loves to forgive. So let's look at that now as we look at the third main character here, God. I want to read verse 10. When God saw what they did and how how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now, God never has to repent. Our our sermon today is about repenting, but God never has to repent. God does do something, though, and my sermon is entitled today, Repentance and Relentance. Although Microsoft Word tells me that I made up the word relentance. uh, I did not make up the word relent, though, and, and that's the word. That's what God does. When he sees sinners repent, he relents. He changes the way that he interacts with us sinners according to our repentance. Um, In verse 9, the king of Nineveh hoped that God would relent. And in verse 10, when God saw what they did, he did relent. Now, some theologians have a problem with this. They wonder how God can change what he said he would do. And to me, it's actually surprisingly simple. And, And here's how I think that we should look at this. God loves to forgive even wicked people when they repent. That's who God is. There's nothing wrong about this. This is not God changing his character. This is God acting in line with what his character is. He loves when sinners repent. So when sinners repent, he relents. He shows grace to even wicked rebels. Now again, don't misunderstand. I think that God would have destroyed Nineveh if they didn't repent. But because they did repent, he relented. He loves to give grace and forgiveness and salvation. 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And we see that message very clearly in the book of Jonah. Everyone in the book of Jonah, the pagan sailors, disobedient Jonah, and the wicked Ninevites, all of them call out to God and receive grace and salvation. There is salvation for us, too, when we cry out to God in repentance. Because God loves to show mercy to rebels who repent. So just like uh, the sailors could call out to God in their distress, just like Jonah could cry out to God in the middle of the fish, just like the Ninevites could call urgently on God in their fast and in their sackcloth, so we too can cry out to God for repentance and find forgiveness and salvation. And that's for the Christian who's been walking with God for 80 years but still struggles with sin. And that's for the lost who hasn't yet come to Jesus. If you have not yet come to Jesus, you can cry out to Him right now and beg for forgiveness and salvation and you know what? God loves to give it. That's who God is. That's what we see in the Jonah story is that God loves to save wicked people so much that He picked the most wicked people He could find and said, see, I'll show grace to them too. And you know what I think we're supposed to understand? Huh. God will even show grace to me. The wonderful thing that we learn about our God is He loves to show grace to us, even in the midst of our sin and wickedness and rebellion. That's who God is. God is very willing to, repent, uh, to relent when we repent. It says in Ezekiel 18.32, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Sovereign Lord. Repent and live! God doesn't want people to die. He wants people to repent and live. He doesn't want us to die in our sin. And and again, for those people who have... I don't understand why the theologians have a problem with this, you know, calling God a flip-flopper. God is not a flip-flopper. He is amazingly and perfectly consistent in this. He always loves to forgive the wicked, repentant sinner. Always. He tells us this in Jeremiah 18, verses 7 and 8. I love these verses. This is God telling us who he is. So he's he's telling us, I'm not acting against my character here. This this is who God says he is. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. There's a pretty big if in there, though. And it's an if that we need to take to heart. There are two choices out there. Life and death. I love how it's put in Deuteronomy 3019. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose life. Repent and live. Why would we not repent? Maybe it's our pride. Maybe we think, oh, it's really not that bad, those things that I have done. I don't know why else. Why would we not repent? Let's go to God who loves to show grace. Let's just confess to him the things that he already knows that we've done wrong. And let's find compassion from him. There is life and salvation in coming to God and repentance. He is a God of grace and he loves to forgive, which is great news for us, by the way, because we would be lost and dead without it. Let's conclude now with a look at two things that we should do in response to this message. The first is that we should repent. And like I just said, we have a choice. We can either continue in our sin or we can turn around and follow God. We all still sin, but we shouldn't do it. When we sin, we should come back quickly to God. And I want to quote here a a colleague of mine, the EFCA pastor in Alexandria. His name is Ron Burgett. I quoted him before. This is a quote that he gave me. uh, I asked some pastors for some input on a sermon I did months ago, and, and he gave this quote that has just stuck with me, and I want to read it for you again. He said, The best that I have been able to do is to have a walk where I circle back more quickly and then drift off less often as well. I love that circle back more quickly. That means that repentance should be immediate. As soon as we know that we have sinned, we should go to God in repentance. It's, it's sad for me to watch other people do this and it, it saddens me because I realize that I probably do it as well, but to watch people get convicted of their sin and not do anything about it, it saddens me. Let's be people when we get convicted of our sin, we go right to God. We circle back to Him and tell Him we story. And then that second part is that we stray less often. It's so easy for us to get off course, but if we do, let's come back to God, keep seeking Him so that we find out the ways that He wants us to walk in. The people of Nineveh repented at the word of God. Now we are much more privileged than they were. And again, it's amazing. In, chapter, in verse 4, Jonah's word to them was only five words long. So they had five words from God, and their whole city repented. Isn't that cool? What do we have? We have the complete written word of God in our hands. The average American household I heard a long time ago has seven Bibles. We've got God's word in our hands. We know that Jesus, the word, has come to us. So let's humble ourselves before God's word. Let's continue to seek it. Let it shine its light on our, on our lives. And when we see that something in our life doesn't line up with what God has for us, let's repent. Repentance is often the first act of faith. Remember in Acts 2 when Peter was preaching to the crowd? And it says there that the people were cut to the heart. And when they were cut to the heart as he was preaching about Jesus' death and resurrection, the people asked, what shall we do? Do you remember Peter's answer? What was it? Anybody? George? (laughs) Repent. You got it, Dan. Candy bar for you. Um, Repent and be baptized, was what Peter said. Repentance is often the first act of faith, and it's so fitting for repentance to be that act of faith when we hear God's Word. And again, whether that's you for the first time today putting your faith in Jesus Christ, saying, I know that I live my life aside from what you wanted me to do, I now give my life to you or whether it's us after 50 years of walking with God saying God I, I did that thing again that thing I told you I wouldn't do I'm sorry I did it again would you forgive me? it's an act of faith so let's be good repenters here let's be honest with God about our sin and be good repenters let's be honest with other people too that we've offended and again I'm, I'm in process in this I don't always do a great job But let's be people who repent of our sins in our hearts and in our actions. And then second, we should share God's grace with others. Jonah was shown amazing grace and his response was to go to Nineveh to tell them about God. See, all throughout this story, God wanted his message to go to Nineveh because he loves the lost. Remember why Jesus came? What did he say? I came to seek and save the lost. And isn't that good news for us because we were lost? Jesus came for us. He came for others as well. And now that we know this wonderful message of God's grace, we should bring this message to others. Here at Cornerstone, we believe it's not only our job to walk with God, but also to help others walk with God. It says we have a passion to know Christ, and we are commissioned to make Him known. That's our mission statement. We are commissioned. That means it's our job to make Him known known if the gospel message is good news for you it's good news for other people too and we should tell them over the course of this Jonah series I've been challenging you and I'll give you the same challenge again today to share the gospel with people or to invite people to come to church with you And the reason that we do this is because we're telling God, I want to join with you as you seek and save lost people, as you want to show them your grace. God, you can use me. I will say words to people that you want me to say to them. I'll share the gospel with them. I'll invite them to church. So we pray. We pray that God would open those doors. And remember, who gets the credit in Jonah 3? Is it Jonah for his five-word sermon? I don't think so. I mean, he did something right. Finally, good job, Jonah. We pat you on the back. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to take that away in chapter 4 when we see uh, your mistakes again. But it's okay. I think that Jonah learned from his mistakes. We learn from our mistakes. Who gets the credit? God. It was God's word that cut these people to the heart and that changed their lives. So we pray and we join with God and say, God, use me if you want to. And then I want to add one part to my challenge. And this is, this is one that not, no one has to do this. I'm not going to force anybody to do this. But I was just thinking about the Ninevites' response and how they showed their sincerity with a fast. And I just want to invite anybody who is sincere about wanting lost people to come to know Jesus, I'll invite you tomorrow, Monday, the evening meal, to to fast from it. Um, A fast can take various forms. One of the ways uh, that I think is is a good way to do a fast is to skip a meal. Now, some of you medically might not be able to do that, and there's other ways that you can fast. I'd be glad to talk with you about those. But, but a good way to fast is to skip a meal. And what I'm going to do tomorrow, and you can join me. I'm going to be upstairs in the fireside room. I'm going to bring my guitar and some song sheets, and we'll do some singing and some worshiping and some praying. Uh, but we can just come together and show God with our actions that we want to join with Him in what He's doing. So if you want to join with me, I'll just invite you to do that tomorrow night, Monday. 6 p.m. I'll send out an email today to remind you. Um, we can fast and pray and call urgently on God. Praise the Lord. He is the God of grace. He came after us when we were lost, and now we can help others know him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for coming after us with your grace, your compassion, your love, your forgiveness, your salvation. Thank you for sending Jesus for us. God, we know that we still mess up, that we still sin. We're sorry for that, God, and we just even come before you right now and name specific sins in our hearts that we want to turn away from. And God, we, we pray that you would strengthen us to turn away from those sins and with our actions show you that we want to follow you and that we don't want to demand our own ways. And God, again, we praise you for this wonderful grace that you've shown us and we pray that you would use us to share your grace with other people as well. We pray that you would open doors and that as we're devoted to prayer, being watchful and thankful, that we would make the most of the opportunities that you give and that you would give us gracious and salty words so that we might know how to answer everyone. God, we pray that you would draw more and more people to Jesus, that they would have salvation. And God, we give ourselves to you that you can use us in that process. But again, God, we praise you for your amazing grace for us and for the whole world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.